usable vessel. Said, first of all, that a usable vessel is one that is expendable, has died to himself, and is alive in Christ. Secondly, it is a spendable vessel. In other words, any purpose for which God wants us to be used, we're available. Anything, Lord, or nothing. Anywhere, Lord, or nowhere. Then last week we talked about the fact that a usable Christian is bendable. Talking about the potter and the clay. We said, first of all, spiritually, we need to be bendable. Not get locked into the traditions of the elders and denominational and doctrinal bondage. But rather, we are able, like the Bereans, to hear a truth and go to the scriptures and see if these things be so. And we'll not say, well, that's not Baptist or that's not Methodist. That doesn't make any difference. You know something? I really don't think those words even exist in heaven. There are only two classes of people on the face of the earth. The ain'ts and the saints. Got it? The ain'ts and the saints. Those who have it and those who don't. Lost or saved. Children of God or sons of the devil. Now that is not my vocabulary. That's what the word of God says. And believe me, there is no gray area in that matter. You're either an ain't or a saint in God's sight. If you're a saint, God says the evidence of it is that you will be bendable and pliable and submitted to the will of God. Spiritually, we're to be bendable. Socially, we are to be bendable. No differences. Now, you may see some differences as far as your education. You may see some differences as far as the background is concerned. But that has nothing in the light of eternity because Solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth. And he said... That the more I know, the more miserable I am. And the more I know, the more responsible I become for what I do know. And Solomon said, you know, there's one nice thing about a poor man. He never has to lock his doors at night for fear somebody's going to come and kidnap him. Never does the word of God put down. Now, the word of God does put down a lazy man, but it does not put down a poor man. God loves rich and poor, educated and uneducated. He's looking for a heart that's responsive to him. And he doesn't care if we pray in perfect, proper English and perfect, proper form. He looks at the heart. And I've heard some people pray with terrible English and tears running down their face, and I believe that it broke heaven wide open faster than some of the most eloquent prayers I've ever heard. God is not a respective person. So socially, if God is no respective person, then we're his children, we should be after his own kind. And so if you find there are areas in your life, or if I find areas in my life where we have uh, bigotry and so forth, that's sin. We have to deal with it accordingly. If we're going to be used by God, those things have to go out the window. God made all men of one blood. Now, they, he made some differences. He definitely made some differences. But I think he did that just to make us realize that we better evaluate people in the light of eternity and not in the light of their education or their social standing. That's why Paul said to the servants in the New Testament, no, don't, just because you're Christian, don't think you should get free and not serve your master. Actually, you should serve them even in a more dedicated way to glorify Jesus Christ. Stay right where you are. Don't, don't lord it over them or say that you're free to get away from them now. No, just go ahead and serve them right where you are. You see, a man can be in prison and be free. And a man can be walking down the street and be in bondage. It has nothing to do with outward circumstances. One saint was told one time by a king, you either renounce this message that you're preaching right now, or we will put you on an island. We will isolate you. And he said, sir, he says, there's nowhere on earth that you can isolate me any more than I am, because already I have been isolated until I get to go home. And it doesn't make any difference where I am on this earth. I'm still in isolation. Exile. He says, I'm already in exile. I'm in exile because 
I'm here instead of with my Lord, and I won't be home until I get there. So put me anywhere you want to. I can't forsake my own home country and being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Today, I want to talk about another area, and that is we have to be bendable financially. Oh, no, Pastor Webb, not that. Not again. No, I'm not going to talk to those today who aren't tithing because they are already in disobedience, they're in rebellion, and God has already shut off the blessings to them. And there's no question in their mind, they know they're in rebellion. The Word of God is very clear concerning turning to the Lord one-tenth of that which is God has given to them. And not to do that is to live in rebellion and in disobedience to Him. But I want to talk to you about being more bendable. Do you know that there are some people who are just as stiff and just as much in bondage to the tithe as some who are in bondage refusing the tithe. And I have yet to find any Christian that I've ever talked to who has tried being obedient to the Lord in the tithe that's ever been sorry for it. I would never want to go back to the time when I thought one day that I couldn't afford to pay my tithe. Because the Lord's going to get the tithe out of me one way or another because he'll see to it that I don't enjoy that which is his if I hold it back from him. I'm robbing him and he says, I'll just shut you down. Give and it shall be given unto you. And you see what I'm actually doing is returning the tithe. But let's, let's just get off of that. I, if you're here today and you don't tithe, that's your problem. You're the one that's going to be having to pay the price for it. You're the one who's not being able to receive from the Lord teaching and growth and so forth. You say, well, I've got my own way of doing it. Fine, do it your own way. There's a way that seems right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You cannot get life out of death. You do it your way. Do whatever you want to. And in the end, we're judged by the word. I want to talk to those who have become bound up in the area of tithing. They know the word of God to bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So they'll sit down, I get $250 a week, okay, $25 a week goes to the Lord. There it is. In fact, I've seen some people figure it out to the very penny. $13.06, $13.07. They wouldn't miss that every week, just right in. That's what they do in obedience to God's word. If you talk to them about any more than that, I tithe. I return my tithe every week. God knows. So I'll show you my checkbook. I mean, all the way back. Legalism, all the way back. And what I want to talk to you about today is being bendable in the area of finances for your benefit. Let me say it again. God never puts anything in his word but what is for our good. When he says bring all the tithes into the storehouse, he means all the tithes. And you know, this is something where I think teaching needs to be brought out, and that is tithe is not just on our salary. Tithe is on our salary. Tithe is on the fruit of the ground, the vegetables of the ground. We try to tithe and more off of our fruit trees and our yards. Why? Because God says return all the tithes, and giving to the poor, or giving to those who have need, to those that don't have, I, I think that that's another area where we need to understand tithing of our time. How many of us give a seventh of our time to the Lord's work? Some people say, well, Sunday morning, Brother Webb, and some say, well, Sunday morning, Sunday night, I wouldn't miss that for anything in the world. Some even really get spiritual on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But you see, if we're going to tithe, our time, it should be just about a day a week, 24-hour period a week, giving it to serving the Lord one way or another, helping other people, Bible study and prayer, ministering to our own family, whatever. Well, that's an area you very seldom hear talking about. But we give one total day a week to the Lord. Let the Lord talk to you about that further. But when we come to the area of tithing, 
That is, again, not giving to the Lord. The Lord says the tithe is, he says it's mine. Well, now, if it's his, then I haven't given him anything. I've just returned it to him. Now, he says, above and beyond that, let's talk about faith. Let's talk about believing me for your needs. Let me show you this beautiful illustration. Look over in Mark, the sixth chapter. Mark 6, beginning with verse 35. I'm talking about flexibility, bendability concerning our finances. And when the day was now far spent, verse 35, chapter 6 of Mark, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away that they may go into the country round about and into the villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, that's Jesus speaking now, Give ye them, give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread and give them to eat? He says unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five loaves and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass, and they sat down in ranks by the hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and break the loaves and gave them to his disciples and set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all, and they did all eat and were filled, and they took up twelve baskets full, twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes, and they that did eat of the loaves were about five thousand men, plus women and children then. Five thousand men plus one. Okay, let's take this over again. Now they had five loaves, two fishes. They fed five thousand men plus women and children, and they had how many baskets left over? Well, now turn over to the eighth chapter, beginning of the first verse. Eighth chapter, Mark, verse one. And in those days, the multitude being very great and having nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples unto him and saith unto them, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now been with me three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away fasting to their own houses, they will faint by the way, for divers of them came from far. His disciples answered him, From whence can a man satisfy these men with bread here in the wilderness? And he asked them, How many loaves have you? Seven. And he commanded the people to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves and gave thanks and break, and gave to his disciples to set before them, and they did set them before the people, and they had a few small fishes, and he blessed and commanded to set before set them also before them. So they did eat and were filled, and they took up of the broken meat that was left in the basket. Now look at verse 13. And he left them, and entering into the ship again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. I wonder what they did to the seven baskets for and he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and, of the, and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves. You ought to do a study sometimes. Every word in the scripture where it says they reason among themselves. Every time men start reasoning among themselves, they get into a mess. Every time they reason among themselves, they get into a mess. You don't reason with what God says. You just do it. If it doesn't seem logical, it doesn't make any difference. If God says it, it's logical and it will do it. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. He, in other words, he's getting after us because we forgot bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand, have ye your heart yet hardened? He's getting after them. He said, I don't believe you guys. I have tried to teach you something two times now. 
and you still haven't gotten it. Having eyes, see ye not. Having and having ears, hear ye not. And do ye not remember? In other words, aren't you learning anything? Aren't you retaining anything? What is the matter with you fellas? And so he goes on here. When I break the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, well, and when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, seven. And he said unto them, how is it that ye do not understand? He's saying to them, you're not learning my principle. If I start with less and feed more, you'll end up with more. If I start with more and feed less, you end up with less. He said there is a biblical principle that's involved here, and I can't understand why you can't perceive it. I showed it to you now, and now I'm explaining it to you. You know, this illustration that Jesus gave is one of the illustrations that show me today that many people who are professing Christians who regularly, consistently, and I thank God for it, they tithe obediently, they're still missing a beautiful truth in God's Word. Some people say, I tithe, Brother Webb, and I, and I just can't see how I can do any more. It's because you don't understand this principle in God's Word. Look at the answer to it found over in Luke, the sixth chapter. Luke 6, starting with verse 29. Excuse me, verse 30. Jesus is talking now concerning some Beatitudes here. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do you also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thanks have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them that do good to you, what thanks have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thanks have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, that, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Verse 38. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and shaken together, and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet, with all, it shall be measured to you again. A good illustration of this that I've given some years before, but I still remember, and it, it made an impact on my life, was a man that I worked for in, when I was in Bible school. I worked in his restaurant as a fry cook and a foreman. And that man was sitting at his rest, in his restaurant one day over in his office. His office was open to the kitchen area. And he was going like this on his head, and he was looking at his books and shaking his head. And I, I was just, I had only been working for about a month. And I knew that he professed to be a Christian. I walked over and I said, what's the problem? Oh, man, this is getting me down. I said, what, what's getting you down? He said, oh, he says, trying to run this thing and make a profit is really tough. And I don't know why I said it. I said, Earl, you're a Christian, aren't you? He said, yes. I said, do you tithe on your business? He said, well, we give quite a bit to the Lord's work. We, we try to give as much as I said. Earl, I didn't ask you that. I said, do you tithe on your business? Uh, he went on and on. Finally, he said, well, no, I haven't done that. I said, well, good enough for you. I had more boldness then, you know. Now I try to be very, very genteel. Good enough for you. I said, you can't rob God and expect God to bless you. I said, the Lord says, bring me all the tithes in the store. I said, not just talking about your little paycheck. He's talking about everything in which you're involved in. 
Anything that you receive in profits, whether it be land, whether it be stocks, whether it be bonds, whether it be annuities, whatever it is, it is a gain to you, and therefore the tithe, first of all, goes back to the Lord. Well, I don't know how long he struggled with it, but I left him and went out into the ministry and came back about three years later, four years later. He had a whole chain of restaurants. And I talked to him, I said, uh, hey, it looks like things are really booming for you. He said, yes, sir, praise God. And I said, that's wonderful. And I said, did you ever learn to tithe? He said, no, don't tithe. If you don't tithe, he said, no, no, he said, I gave that up. Now listen to me. I'm trying to tell you now. I said, what do you mean you gave that up? He said, I found out that that's just returning to the Lord what was his, and it wasn't giving a thing, and my wife and I talked about it, and we realized that he said in his word that if whatever, in the same measure that we give, it's going to be given back to us. If I say to the Lord, I made $253, here's 20 dollars and 53 cents when the measurement comes back and your bills are three hundred dollars that week the lord will see to it that you get three hundred dollars zero zero earl says i tried tithing and i realized that that was obedience but he said god began to challenge me on that portion of scripture to see if it worked he says my wife and i went to 15 percent and he said within a few months we had two more restaurants he says, then we went to 20%. Now, let me tell you something. He didn't get the chain of restaurants and then start doing it. You step out by faith. You put the wood in the stove, and then you get the heat. You see, but God becomes your source. God becomes your source. If I wanted to take the rest of the day and tell you of experiences in our ministry and in our lives, I could tell you experience after experience after experience for God has performed miracles because we know that just tithing is not sufficient. And you know something? I don't want everybody to know everything that I do. We don't just give everything just in, in the local church. When it's above and beyond tithes, if God lays something on our heart to give to someone else, we just do it. I don't care if the income taxes know about it or I mean whether they, we get deducted for it or not. That's not my source. God's my source. This man said we went to 20% and he said, God, continue to bless us and look at all the restaurants we have. I said, that's wonderful. I said, you going to quit there? He says, no. He says, you know, God's been talking to me about 25%. And I've really been struggling over that thing. I said, you're that dummy. I said, you've already proven that it works. Why don't you go on and really jump in? You see, this is what the thing is saying. Jesus is saying, look, quit looking at your supply. I can take less and spread it out further and have a little more left over than if I take more and feed fewer, the end result is not as large. So quit looking at the size of your paycheck and look at the, the magnificent power of God. Forget the tithe as such. Begin, I don't care if it's 50 cents more. When I talk about giving, I'm not talking about indiscriminate giving above and beyond your tithe. I don't think you should give one thing to one place or one person above and beyond what the Spirit of God tells you to give. Now, let me tell you something. If you're not plugged in that'll hear the Spirit of God speak to you, then you need to get alone with God, get quiet, get down on your face and say, God, I've got to hear from you and find out what's cutting the, the line off. Because God will lead you. They, the, he, he said that his children will hear his voice. My sheep hear my voice. But you ought to be able to set aside if it's a dollar or two dollars or fifty cents or a dime. And say, no, Lord, I'm going to set this aside and I'm going to ask you by faith to show me where I can minister to someone with this particular thing. And I'm going to believe that you're going to show me where to put it and you're going to bless me according. And when I give it, I'm giving it in the name of Jesus, who is my high priest, 
and I expect the promises of God to be true that you said you'd open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that I cannot contain it. And I'm expecting it, Lord, because you said it. I didn't. The Lord, I'm not saying that selfishly, but I'm saying it because you promised it to me so that more can come back to me that I can step out by faith and give more. My wife and I just recently had an experience, and I shared some of it with you, how God spoke to me and told me how much we were supposed to, and it's, believe me, it wasn't just tithes. And so we had to ask the Lord, how to, we, we went ahead and we gave it, and before that week was up, we got four times back more. That's not in my church envelope, coming back to me, but from outside sources where God spoke to other people and they responded to me. Well, you're in the ministry, so are you. You have sources to come to you that I don't have. Channels, I should say. God is your source. But God's saying, why don't you begin to plant a seed? Get flexible. Get flexible. Loosen up on that thing. I'm not, I don't care what you give. I don't benefit one way or another from it because you're not my source. I don't get the money that comes to this church. It goes out into the Lord's work, supporting missionaries, supporting ministries, building up this particular ministry here, putting money in the building fund accounts, and we're going to be able to have the land and the building when God tells us to have it. But you see, if you give, you're the one that gets blessed, not me. If you don't return to the Lord the tithe and go beyond that and become flexible and become obedient to God, you're the one that's shortchanged. R.G. Letourneau, I had, I let one of the young people here read the story of R.G. Letourneau, who was an engineer and went into business for himself, and God gave him miraculous revelations concerning engineering design. But when he went into the business, he tried to set up the corporation where he and God were in partnership, and it took him a long time to find an attorney that didn't think he was nuts. But the business got so big, finally he was in partnership 50-50 with God, and half of all the profits of the business went to God's work. And the thing boomed and got so big where that man would lay down at night and put a pad on his bed, bed next to his bed, and in the middle of the night the Lord gave him a revelation, he'd jump up and write down the design, and the next day he'd go to the other engineering department and say, here, make this up, and they said, that's impossible. He says, do it. God said, it'll work. And they'd do it, and it'd work. He finally says, this thing is getting too big for me, God, I'm going to turn it all over to you, and he gave the whole business to God. Multi-million dollar business. He said, it's too big for me, God, it's your, you're the chairman of the board now, you just show me how to, how to manipulate all this, these things. That man has traveled around the world telling people he would say to them, look, I'll guarantee you one thing. You tithe for one year if you've never tithed before. I don't care if you're a Christian or not a Christian. You tithe somewhere to the Lord's work where they're doing a work for God. And at the end of the year, if you haven't made more money or made, I have not lost any money from the year before, he says, I personally will write you a check to cover. I heard him one time. He said, I've been doing that for 37 years and I've never yet received one request for money back. It's a spiritual law. Given it shall be given unto you. There's another man that was up in Ohio who had purchased a business that had gone bankrupt. He put his money into it, thought he'd get it going, and the thing was going down again, and he stopped his car along the side of the road and said, God, I, I don't know what to do with this thing. I thought I was doing what you wanted me to do. God said, well, you were doing some of what I wanted you to do, but you didn't give the business to me. I want to be in business with you. He said, okay, God, I'll make you my partner. He went in town and had three attorneys throw him out of their office, so he finally got one to make up a contract saying God owned half the business. That man turned his business around. God turned that business around. And he had a witness and testimony in every place that he was doing business. He was reclaiming silver from film. That man, I think it was something like two or three years from the time he made that decision, two or three years later, was a multi-millionaire, had a multi-million dollar business on him. Now, you say, well, Brother Webb, that's nice for these business people. No, 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 no. Wherever you are. He wants you to say, Lord, 
And you know, I heard a preacher say one time, whenever I really want to get people's attention, before the service starts, I say, all right, I want everybody to bring their billfold right up here in their pocketbooks up here and set them on the communion table. If you want to talk about jerking slack out of people's conversation, you get them to let go of that thing in their back pocket. Let them put their purse with all their money in and set it up on the community tables. Now that I've got all your treasure up here, I want to talk to you because where your treasure is, your heart is also. So put your hearts up here so I can talk to you. And he says, you can't imagine how God talks to them when their billfolds and their purses are sitting up here in the front. I've never done that. I don't think I'll ever do it. But anyway, you dedicate this to the Lord. It may be as so flat it looks like a cow stepped on it. But that doesn't make any difference. You see, you can be just as tight with a dime as you can be tight with a billion dollars. You can be just as covetous with five cents as you can with five million dollars. The key is become flexible. Jesus said, remember my illustration. It isn't what you've got, it's what I do with what you've got. And if he can't get a hold of it, he can't do it. Some people say, well, I've got to hang on to mine for a rainy day. Well, you better look out. There's a storm coming. And the flood will take it all away. Jesus said, release it and it'll come back to you from others. If you give it to him, he has made all things and he is the source of all things. He says, the earth is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills, the gold is mine, the silvers are mine. But, by the way, let me just give the Spirit of God just said, stop telling something. You see, this doesn't work if the rest of your life isn't given to him. See, God knows that the cord runs from your heart to this. He doesn't have your heart, it doesn't mean good to have this, but if he has your heart, he has this too. So once you, he has your life, you see, you can't use this thing as a manipulation to manipulate God. There's some people that try to play a, a, a divine stock market, you know? New York stock market, far out stock market, God's stock market, you see? And they try to manipulate, no, 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 I'm talking about when you have repented of the past and have committed your total future to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you say, Lord, this goes right along with it. I like what one millionaire did in Texas when he got saved. He was like this, and the preacher saw something in his hand. He said, here, I'm getting ready to baptize. What is it? My billful. Oh, no. He said, that thing will get wet. He says, bury it, Lord. Bury it, preacher. He says, it's going to die with me. But he had the philosophy and the theory right there. The principle is, when you dedicate that to the Lord, and you say, Lord, I am going to be totally sensitive to you. If I'm walking through a crowd of people and you speak to me and say, give that person a dollar or give that person $30, I'll do it. Now watch it. Well, don't, don't say that unless you mean it. Because there'll come a time when you'll have a $20 bill in your pocket and you'll be sitting somewhere or you'll be walking through somewhere and God will say to you, give that person $20. All I've got, God, and I've got that bill tomorrow morning. Give them $20. Let me tell you something. I went into a dry cleaners one day, and I had a, I have a little, my little kitty back in here, you know, and I, when I get a dollar or two extra, I'll tuck it back in my kitty and hold on to it just in case, you know, I find something I want to buy sometime. Or if I want to take my wife out for dinner sometime, or she doesn't know we have anything, I'll tuck it back there. And I walked into the cleaners one day, and I was talking to this lady, and I knew that she'd had a very heartbreaking experience in her past. And I got through talking to her, I said, we're sure going to be praying for you. And while I stand there talking to her, God says, give her that $50 bill you got. And I thought, well, Lord, surely the Lord knows I want to do this and such with that $50 bill. And I said, we'll sure be praying for you. And I went outside and got in the car. Lord said, I told you to give me that $50 bill. I said, Lord, you know I have got these bills coming up this week. And you know, just as clear as could be, it's like the Lord said to me, why is it you want me to meet your needs, but you won't help me meet other people's needs here? If you meet her need, I'll meet your needs. And I was driving home. 
And I got clear down, almost our corner, and I had to pull into a driveway back out, and I said, yes, sir. And I went back, and I walked in, and I said, I want to ask your forgiveness because I wasn't obedient to the Lord. The Lord told me to give you something, and I didn't do it. She said, give me what? I said, the Lord told me to give you this, and I folded it up and put it in her hand. And she opened it, and she sat down and began to sob. She said, I didn't know how I was going to meet the bills this weekend with my two children right now because of a certain circumstance she was under. I didn't know how I was going to do it, and I thought, dear God, and I almost disobeyed you. Our bills were more than met that week. More than met that week because... Give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. If you and I go through life like this, just, oh, God, help me meet my needs. What are, here's my needs, Lord. If you don't take care of my needs, we'll never get our needs met. Because God says, you want to get your needs met? You begin to meet the needs of others, and as you give, it shall be given unto you. Be sensitive to me. Let me tell you when to give and what to give. You see, you don't even need to be sensitive about the tithe. That's just automatic. That's returning to the Lord so you don't rob him. But beyond that, he's saying, loosen up, be flexible. To be a usable vessel, stay flexible. If I tell you to give, give. And you know one of the things you'll run into, people say, oh, I can't, no, no, I don't want that. And you have to let them know, listen, the Lord told me to give this to you. Now, when the Lord tells you to give something to somebody, don't leave any strings attached. I've had people give me things in the past, and I saw cords hanging all over that stuff. So I'd come right back and I'd say, no, wait a minute, why are you giving me this? Well, I just think you should have it. Well, now, the Lord's my source. Don't worry about me having or not having. Why are you giving me this? And finally, I will bring it to the place. I'll say, did the Lord tell you to give me this? Listen, I don't want anything that God doesn't want me to have. Did the Lord tell you? And if they say, yes, God spoke to me and told me to have you to have that, I say, I thank the Lord for it, and I thank the Lord for you being obedient to the Lord. I can walk away from that situation and know that I just severed all the cords. Because I was in the church one time where a lady called me and as much as said this to me. She said, now, Pastor, I think that this thing ought to change right now. I said, why do you say that? And she started telling me, I said, well, I don't agree because I think this is... She said, now, I hope you'll remember that my husband and I have tried to help you financially many, many times. And I would think that you would at least take that into consideration when you think about this particular situation. I said, ma'am, what you have given to my wife and me, I have asked you point blank... Why did you give that to me? You said the Lord told me to give it to you. And I said, if the Lord told you to give it to me, then there are no strings attached. It's because you were obedient to God, and I received this from the Lord. And if you're going to use that for any other purpose than that, then God will have to judge you for it. I didn't win any friends, but I did influence a person. She never tried that again. God is trying to tell us, though, if you'll get flexible and loose, go through the day saying, Lord, it's not mine. This this money in here is not mine. It's yours. I'm yours. Everything is yours. And if you'll just show me what to do with it, what bills to pay, how to pay them, who to give to, who not to give to, I'll be obedient. Let me tell you something. If you'll do that, you will begin to be excited. There's really a problem. And, uh, and, and I know there are times when it gets tight like that. There are. But you don't need to tell everybody else about it. Tell the Lord about it. See, I don't like to give out of a sense of, of sympathy or pity. I, I'm not saying you should never share your problems with someone else, but when it becomes a dirge, you know, there's some people in the world that you don't even want to come up and ask them how they are because they'll take an hour and tell you. But the Word says casting all your cares on Him because He cares for you. 
And I've had people not say one word to me, and God said, go give them some money. I walked up, and they said, why? I said, God told me to do it. Boy, let me tell you, that jerks the slack out of their conversation. When you say, God just talked to me and said, you've got a need. It excites them. They begin to say, hey, God does know where I am. This morning, I spoke to you about the fact concerning Christians being bendable. He said spiritually and socially they need to be bendable. And this morning, I talked to you about them being financially bendable. We talked about now going beyond and beginning to not be stiff concerning just the tithe. That's when you begin to learn how to walk in faith before God. Up until that time, you're just learning how to walk in obedience. When you come to tithing, all you're talking about is obedience. When you come to offerings, you're talking about faith, believing God for greater things. That's why he said, give and it shall be given unto you. With what measure you give, it shall be measured to you again. I know that in God's word, it gives us illustrations of successful people and poor people and so forth. And I want you to see the concept of New Testament giving contrary to what was the Old Testament concept. And I can't just restrict it totally to that because if you'll go back and read when the temple was built, David literally gave millions of dollars to the temple. He was a very, very uh, flourishing giver. I don't, not flourishing, very generous. He was very generous in giving to the ministry of God's ministry in the temple and the worship of the temple and so the building of the temple and the priesthood of the temple and so forth. He was very strong in that. The leaders of the different tribes when the temple was to be built all brought big gifts. And when Solomon got ready to build, all the people brought gifts for the temple and finally they had to say, stop, 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 we got all the gifts we want to get. Now, that was above and beyond tithe. Those were offerings to the building of the temple. Look in Luke, the 19th chapter, one story concerning flexibility. And Jesus answered and passed through Jericho, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. He was rich. Some people don't like to have anybody saying that about them, but... And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press. See, the reporters were all around him. They couldn't get close to him. I don't think that's what it means there. It means because of the crowd, but they called it the press. Uh, because he was little of stature. He wasn't very tall. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, when they saw it, who's they? His sidewalk superintendents, the Pharisees and Sadducees who were following him everywhere he went. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be a guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. Jesus said in the Living Bible, This shows that salvation is come to this house today. Being the chief publican, you have to understand again concerning the publican. They were not a very favorite crowd. All taxes, basic taxes, had to be paid directly to the imperial officers of the Roman government, and the Jews absolutely detested doing that. But all the normal taxes that were assessed were paid to them. But when it came to tariffs, import and export duties, they didn't want to get involved with all that mess and have to go over and open up all the packages of the Jews and get them all riled up. And those were the specific taxes that they turned over to the publicans. They said, look, we'll give you this whole area of the Orlando area, 
uh, you Jews that want to get in on this, we'll give you the whole Orlando area. You just pay us $4 million and you collect whatever you can get. And so they would go to all the bridges and the main intersection and roads and around the area and they would set up their booths. Remember how Jesus came to Matthew and he was at the booth and he says, follow me and I'm make you to be a fisher of men or something. He said, come on with me. And Matthew left his booth and went with him. He was probably at a toll booth like it were at a bridge and everybody that entered into that area, into the Orlando area, would be like setting up a booth out here on I-4 and stopping every car, opening the trunk, say, oh, what's in that package? Open up that package. Uh, I want you to take that tire out, shake that tire, see if there's anything that's thing inside of that tire. Somebody's taking a screwdriver and opening up and looking inside the door panel to see if you had anything stashed away in there. And begin to check out everything you have. Turn your suitcase, I mean, your, open your suitcases, let me look in there. And dump out your pocketbook and let me see what's in that. Boy, they'd be in a mess with my wife's pocketbook, I'll guarantee you. They'd be there for a week. But they, if they could go through everything that you own. And whatever you were bringing in that was any value as far as import or export or tariffs to come into that area with it or go out with a product that you carry, they had to get in and become very aggravating and get into everything a person brought in or took out and charge them taxes on that. Now, it says that Zacchaeus was a chief publican. This indicated that he not only was one of those, but he went out and bought up a lot of areas and then went to others and said, look, I'll sell this part to you for so much, I'll sell this part to you so much, and you just pay me an override. He was very much despised. The Jews thought, and some, some of the Jews actually thought that it was a crime, a sin against God, to pay any tax to Rome. And then to have someone else who called himself a Hebrew to come over and say, okay, unload it all, let me see what you got in it. That's the type of thing that they would do. And they just, people just absolutely despised them for it. Consequently, the Jews, when they saw anybody that would associate with them, just couldn't stand it. They thought their philosophy is, you know, get all you can and can all you get. And, and, and many times it's typical of the unsaved. And it says, because he was a chief of the publicans, naturally, he was very rich. And Jesus went to his home. After he had been with him, it didn't take him very long, something happened in the life of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus became very financially bendable. Up until that time, it was, boy, every man for himself, and I'm going to get all I possibly can. Let me tell you something. They had to be very, very cagey to catch all the ways that these salesmen coming in and out, these merchants coming in and out, would use to try to hide them. The publicans had to learn all the tricks of the trade in that day, and it made the people more angry all the time. Well, they learned the tricks, and that's why Zacchaeus could say he was rich. His whole theory of life turned around completely when he became a Christian. Now, this tells you something, that there is an evidence of a change when someone comes to Christ. There in verse 8, And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Master, the half of my goods. By the way, you know, he didn't ask, Lord, what would be normal? What, what would, how much should I give or how much do I need to give tonight, Lord? You know, I, now that I'm a Christian, I, I don't want to be a freeloader. I'd just like to do something, you know, to kind of give back to you. You've given to me. Now I'd like to kind of give back to you, Lord. What would be the best thing that I could give to you? you know? Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I will restore unto him fourfold. Verse 9, And Jesus said unto him this day, The salvation come to this house. I know one thing for sure. When a person gets genuinely saved, their philosophy and their attitude toward their possessions changes from get all you can to give all you can. If you're genuinely saved, you find how you can be a blessing to others. Not just with the tithe. That is obedience. I'm talking about faith and blessings. 
You see, when Jesus said, or Paul said, give, and it, or Jesus said, give, and it shall be given unto you, he wasn't talking about the tithe there. Because you're not giving the tithe, he knew you returned the tithe to the Lord. He's saying above and beyond that, by faith you give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Do you remember the illustration I gave you, what that verse is actually talking about? It was descriptive of how they traded back in that day. A man would come and he would have a, a big robe with a cloak around him. They were never direct. Come to this merchant and say, uh, understand that there's a friend of mine that's uh, looking for the possibility if there'd be any grain around here. You, as a word, he might be interested in some grain. And the shop owner who has a whole bunch of the back room says, well, that's interesting. He said, uh, I'll keep that in mind. If there's uh, ever any around, I'll let him know. But if he were going to buy some grain, how much uh, would he be willing to pay for it? He said, well, don't know exactly what the going price is. And he did know what the going price would be, but this is where they bartered. And they just nonchalantly talk about it. It takes them a long time to go out and, you mean, you know, I, I go in and I say, I want five pounds of flour and one pound of this, and, and I walk out the door. They didn't do it that way. He said, well, I don't know what going price is, but I understand that if there were any to be found around, I, he'd probably pay, oh, I suppose, ten cents a, a pound. Oh, well, he said, I don't know about that. He said, I know that if, if ever I had any around, why, I'd probably want about 18 cents a pound. 18 cents a pound. Well, he was thinking about 10 cents a pound, but I imagine if it was really good stuff, he, he would go as high as maybe 12 cents a pound. Well, if I ever had any, he said, it'd be the finest grain you could ever find. And he said, uh, being the finest it could be, I know that there wouldn't be any possible way it could be sold for any less than 16 cents a pound. And they go on and on and on and on. So finally, they'd come to an agreement. They'd say, well, yeah, if I had some, if, if you could find some, would they be willing to pay 15 cents a pound? Well, if it was really first class, yeah, I think they would. Well... Let me see what I can do. And back in the back room, they'd say, okay, yeah, I've got some. Come look at it. What do you think? That's 15 cents a pound. Huh? Yeah, okay. And they'd go through that whole thing. And then he would take his, his container and he would get down. The, the merchant wouldn't. He would get down and he would take his vessel and he would take his hand and fill that vessel clear to the brim. And as he was filling it, he'd take it on the floor and tap it. How many of you ever had to tap something down? You know, it doesn't fill up when you first dump it in. You know why you get your, your cereal boxes? Well, they say large, economy, supersized. One of these days they're going to come out full, you know. About one-third to half empty. You can rattle them around. It wasn't that when they filled it. While it's been riding in the truck and being carried and put up on the shelf, it's all settled down. And this is what he'd do. He'd take his thing and pound it, put a little bit more in, shake it together, pound it, put it more in, put more in. Finally, when they couldn't get any more in, they'd just shake it until they just couldn't go anymore. Then they'd start piling it up on the top of their little vessel, as high as they could. So they'd tell them, excuse me, I said a while ago for a pound, but it's actually per container. And they had a certain size container, that was it. And they would fill it up and pile it up until they couldn't get another grain on. And then, at the last, he'd reach down with his cloak and he would dump it into his cloak and carry it away because he knew if he'd try to pick it up the way it was, it would never be able to be carried that way because it'd all fall off the side. So he would dump it in. And that's what Jesus said. He says, given it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, so men give into your bosom. They understood exactly what he was saying. He dumped it into his bosom because it would never be able to, if he tried to walk away. And God says, if you'll give, when I give it back to you, you'll have to dump it into your bosom to even be able to carry it because that's where I'm going to bless you. Zacchaeus was not the poorer because he learned that principle immediately, was not You notice two things took place when he got saved. First of all, he became a free giver. Secondly, he became one interested in total restitution. When I hear people say, well, I know I did this and that and the other thing, you know, before, but uh, it just goes by the board. There is a moral problem there. 
And one of the greatest things the devil tried to tell me when I got saved, well, if you get saved, you've got to get that straightened out and that straightened out and that straightened out of these people back there. You've got to take that back. You've got to settle that. You've got to go and be honest with that person that you lied to. And mm, Can't run with your buddies anymore. You lose all your friends, all these things. When I got saved, those things didn't bother me anymore. I went right out to my buddy. I said, i got something to say to you. I went to my boss. I said, i got this to say to you. And I went around. I said, Jesus has done a work in my heart. And when that happened to Zacchaeus, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house this day. There's the evidence of it. Now, all he was saying is, here's a man that suddenly has had a change of mind. And I want to just ask you, since you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, has your attitude toward material things changed? Now, let me say again, the reason I'm trying to tell you this is because if you grasp a hold of things, God's Word says you'll lose them. If you release them, and God brings them back to you, they'll be like the loaves and fishes, blessed, broken, and multiplied, and brought back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, because he can trust you with it then. But I've had people say, boy, if I just had $100,000, I'd do this and this and this and this. No, you wouldn't. Unless you're doing it with the $10 you've got. Oh, but I could do so much more if I had $100,000. No, you, but you wouldn't. He who is faithful in little will be made faithful over much. He who is unfaithful over little will be unfaithful over much. Do with what you have got, what God you think God would have you to do by stepping out by faith and acting on it, and then the blessings start coming. Now again, I say sometimes it happens overnight, sometimes it doesn't happen overnight, but you don't look to see what's coming back. You continue to act in obedience and faith and expect and believe that when the time comes, it's supposed to be there. God will see to us there. And it's like we, we were out for lunch. They had a fantastic lunch. And we were talking about, one of us woke up and said, you know what is interesting to me? When you talk about things coming back to you, it isn't always just money and material things, is it? And I said, amen. It's blessings, it's, it's peace, it's health. It's joy, all these other things that are a blessing. Uh, a home that was on the rocks ready for a divorce and God put it back together again and the, and the babies are growing up learning to know about Jesus and the home is established. You, see, you can't put that in a cash register. You can't even buy that. If you don't believe me, look at all the multimillionaires that are getting divorces today. That's just the side benefits besides the material things Jesus said he's going to bring back to you. Whatever you give up on earth, he'll return it to you a hundredfold in this life with persecutions and eternal life. Truly, salvation will come to this house. And it will change our attitude completely. Mark 12. That was concerning successful rich people, as the world looks at it. Now we're going to talk about poor people and their bendability financially. Verse 41 of the 12th chapter of Mark, And Jesus sat over against the treasury, and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. You know, he didn't say how much money. He how they cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow, and she threw in two months, which make a farthing. And he called unto him his disciples and saith unto them, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want did cast in all that she had, even all her living. 
anybody doesn't believe in tithing, try the New Testament giving way, method of giving here. This is New Testament giving again. When God looks at giving, he does not look at the size of the gift. He looks at the sacrifice it takes for that gift. Kid, two cents. Some of you children wonder sometimes if God ever even notices what you give. Jesus sees, he sits over by the treasure, he sees what we do because he sees the attitude of our heart. And there have been times when I was in Bible school, before I went to Bible school, I made about $160 a week working at the Hormel Meat Packing Company. And I tithed and gave beyond that. When I got to Bible school and started working, I was making about 6 to $10 a week. You know, I, I really feel that the Lord was more pleased with the fact that I would try to give a dollar or more a week out of that 6 to $10 a week than he was that I gave maybe $25 out of the $165 I made a week. He's impressed and concerned and interested in where our heart is when we give. Zacchaeus could afford to give half of all of his goods and probably still had a lot of money left over, but his attitude had changed before it was get, and now it was give and get right with everybody else. This widow, Jesus said, I see all the rich men casting their money in, but he said not one of them have given nearly what this woman has given. And so she gave everything. She was totally bendable. I wonder what would have happened if one of them had cast in, let's say one of those rich men had cast in $1,000, Jesus walked up and said, I know that you're worth $100 million. Put in $50 million. What do you think that rich man would have thought? You mind your own business. I'm giving more than anybody else in this church already. I mean, somehow he could have lived on the other $50 million, couldn't he? All I'm trying to say is that God doesn't look at what you give. He looks at what you give in comparison to what he's given to you and will honor you accordingly. If you give one drop out of a thousand drops, He'll return to you one drop out of a thousand drops. And if you give five drops out of seven drops or ten drops or fifteen drops, he's going to return to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over in the same measure that you give. If you give a little tiny percentage, he gives back a little tiny percentage. And I have to say to you that I feel sorry many times for wealthy people because they don't have to trust the Lord every day for everyday needs. That poor widow, she probably didn't have money to go to a doctor if she needed it. She probably couldn't have gotten glasses if she needed it. She couldn't have had a hearing aid if she needed it. She couldn't have gotten her teeth fixed if she needed it. But that didn't matter. She gave her two mics, and Jesus said she's going to be honored. She'll be heard. As her story will be told forever. And that's why that story was put into Scripture, because Jesus said it should be. Listen to what Paul the Apostle said in 2 Corinthians, the 8th chapter, verses 1 through 4. I'm going to read it to you from the Living Bible. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4. Now I want to tell you what God in his grace has done for the churches of Macedonia. Though they have been going through much trouble and hard times, evidently there was a recession going on about that time, much trouble, persecution, and a recession, they have mixed their wonderful joy with their deep poverty, and the result has been an overflow of giving to others. They already had needs, they were already being persecuted, and they had an overflow of giving to others. In the need, time of need, they began to give. Now, there is a principle here to learn. When you need, that's the time to give. Prime the pump, God says. When you have needs, give. Don't sit there and say, God, I've got to have, I've got to have, I've got to have. He says, give and it'll get. Give and it'll come. Give and it'll come. You just watch in any church body. You show some, find someone that gives of themselves and ministers and gives of themselves. Before long, it starts coming back to them. 
It'll come back. It'll come back one way or another. People say, you know, God bless their hearts. They've really been giving. And, and I know it's not very easy. And it's a pretty tough time for them. God's really spoken to my heart. And, and it comes back to them every time. It says they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. One guy says, don't give until it hurts. He says, give until it quits hurting. That's better. And I can testify that they did it because they wanted to. Isn't that beautiful? Not because they had to. They gave because they wanted to and not because of nagging on my part. Isn't that exciting? That's what you call being mendable financially. Even when you can't afford to give, God speaks to you and you say, look, please take this and give it to them. But you're in need. That's all right. God will take care of my needs. You just minister to them. If we're truly, truly born again of the Spirit of God, we'll be flexible financially and the kingdom of God and the ministry of God and the work of God and the getting out of the message of the gospel, whether it be through the pulpit or over the radio or on television or personal witnessing or tract ministry or tape ministry, that will become first and foremost in our lives because it will be impossible to outgive God as we give to his ministry and his work. You see, when I talk to you about giving, I'm not trying to get something away from you. I'm trying to teach you the principles of God's, God's uh, principles of finance. He said, you want to be successful? Give. He says, you want to be exalted? Get down. And I'm telling you, if you learn to get down, get down before the Lord, he will lift you up. And the same thing is true financially. If you will give and be obedient in your giving, it will come back to you. And giving, when you're bendable, will be a blessing. Giving will be a blessing. I'll tell you, I went through many, many times having to receive. And it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the only way we're going to be able to receive is by giving. And then we'll receive to give again, to receive to give again. But when we receive it from God, it's such a blessing to know that his word is true.